now, 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 How's the new theme song go? You don't remember? No. It just doesn't work. It's like Deliverance, man. Sorry, man. I'm from the South. Everything sounds like that. What are we doing? I don't know. I was going to be like, tricked you, tricked you. You thought we were going to start the episode. You got to wait. You got to wait a few more seconds. At least like three more seconds. One, two. Three. Welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast. This is your host, Sean the Foster. I'm here today with Ooh, it is. <sighs> Very sad sick boy <laughs> who's got his vaccinated arm infecting Back boy. the entire thing. It's like it's just spreading out, blossoming throughout his body and just <laughs> you know, getting rid of any any sickness possible, you know, it's like flicking him away. Yeah, it's turning into 5G, getting signal off of them. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I don't, I don't need my Wi-Fi booster anymore. I just yeah. am the signal. <laughs> it's Phil. How's it yeah. going, Phil? <laughs> it's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to be up front with people like I want with you. Feel like shit. Yeah. I'm going to try and keep it up, keep up the energy. It's okay. Uh, Most yeah. of the people Go. in this film feel like shit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's appropriate, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, got my first jab yesterday, and that was, it was I told you, fucking, it was an exciting day. I've yeah. had an exciting few days. Bill got locked out of his house. I did. Right after getting my vac, uh, my first vaccine, just because, you know, that's yeah. how life works. You yeah. know, I, I thought I was doing a good thing, and instead of being rewarded, I was punished. Was there any sort of like other weird coincidences do you think that might have happened because of this whole circumstance that kind of like relates to the film we're talking about today? <laughs> it did start raining frogs. <laughs> ah, shit. Oh, shit, I knew it. Yeah, okay. You know, frog rain. Uh, it's we, always a we problem. Got, yeah, we got locked out of the house just as someone was trying to break in or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that's something there. Yeah, like... <laughs> It was like someone did break in and the guy who came to like knock your lockout actually like hit the person in the head like with his <laughs> drill as he was drilling the like lock in and just goes slamming into his Yeah, head. exactly. Yeah. And his name was like my name backwards. <laughs> Liff. Liff. <laughs> 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 um, Whoa. What a crazy thing. Well, yeah, it's a fun week. We're both we're both at least one shot down, so that's good. Um, nice. Both. One more to go. Pretty good. One more to go. My arm is on fire. Cool. We're going to get through it. And we can get through it with the help of people like you. Hey, here's a little transition for you. I want to give a little shout out to a new Patreon subscriber. Pretty nice. nice. We had a new one this uh, week. Russell Buckley. Thanks for your patronage. Thank you. You can do that too if you're not already there. It's patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. You can be a subscriber from as low as one dollar or one pound whichever currency you prefer it could be a euro i'm assuming um patreon's <laughs> weird so, so it confuses me um but yeah as low as one pound a month you can subscribe support the podcast get hey early episodes that's a new thing for the last few weeks since we started this anderson versus anderson arc that we're on get the episode a couple days early you can hear it before everyone else and you can spoil it for people although no one's done that 
because I guess you guys are very nice. Um, there's not really much to spoil, is there? Who cares about our hot takes? Uh, <laughs> guess what? Phil liked the PTA movie. And guess what? John liked the Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> Big surprise. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You can get your episodes early. And also, if you subscribe for £4 or $5 and up, you get bonus episodes. And there's going to be a little bit of a doozy coming out in the next few days, hopefully. Um, if it's not already out by the time you listen to this. Phil and I finally did something that we've been talking about we were going to do for a couple months now. It's not a big yeah. deal, but it's a bonus. You know, it's, it's a big deal to us. It's a big yeah. deal to us. It is yeah. kind of a big deal, but like... Like, yeah, like like physically, it's a big deal. Yeah, physically, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to thank everyone who does support us there at Patreon.com. All of our patrons are great. And uh, we've yeah, started, thank you. like, oh my God, this past Monday, holy shit, like... It's finally out. It's out. Fucking franchised is out. It's real. It's real. It's a real thing. So all these people on Patreon for over the last year have been like hearing us go through the Fast and Furious episodes. And if you're a patron, you can hear all those very early. But now every episode's coming out once a week from Monday, this past Monday, the 21st. Uh, it's going to be going out every Monday from there on out um, as we get through the entire Fast and Furious series. And then we'll move on to a new franchise because that's our new show. It's called Franchise. Find it you wherever it. you can get your podcast. Uh, we've pumped out the links quite a bit on our social media, but please support Franchise. Uh, we really are excited for this new show. Um, it's fun. It's like kind of similar to what we're doing over here. But hey, Arianne's back as well, so that's another treat. Like if you miss Arianne, uh, if you don't hear her on the Patreon every month with me, you can hear her every week again. Um, and then Phil will be joining us soon from season two. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, finding him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. It's a fun show. And educational. Educational, yeah. You can learn about the many facets of Ja Rule. <laughs> Murder! Murder! <laughs> <laughs> Menage! Menage! <laughs> Monica! All right, so let's get in a little bit of user feedback. <laughs> I think everybody the last few weeks who have been listening to the Anderson versus Anderson arc, we've had a lot of good uh, feedback on that. A lot of people are pretty excited. A lot of people have their take hot takes. Left and right. Yeah. I'm an Anderson guy. I'm an Anderson mm. guy. And they won't tell us which Anderson it is. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm an Anderson girl. <laughs> but yeah, we had uh, last week, we did our episode on Rushmore, which was a very fun episode. And we introduced our little thing where hey Wes Anderson has a little peanuts fetish uh <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe don't word it like that yeah yeah which was new to me yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I actually didn't know that either and Petros over at Cajun said I've been saying for a while that Wes Anderson needs to helm a peanuts project we're talking about peanuts like Charlie Brown uh yeah, yeah. Snoopy, Snoopy if you don't Woodstock, know what talking about all that but, good um, stuff yeah and he says already know one of the big references in Royal Tenenbaum so hey there we go we got a we got one to look out for Phil Okay. Um, so keep an eye out. All right. Uh, this goes back to our Boogie Nights episode. David Ricard. Uh, I always remember as the man who bullied us into doing the the full length Jaws episode. 
Yeah, I hope he's bullied happy. us. He bullied yeah. us into it. Yeah, I hope he's yeah. happy. No, actually, that was a great episode. That was yeah. fun. He bullied you into yeah. talking about one of your favorite movies yeah. for an Easily, extended period of like, time. Possibly one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Um, it's summer, baby. Go out and listen mm. to that Jaws episode again. Fourth of July. Get scared about sticking your toes in the water. Shark in the water. He said, guys, Wahlberg is great in Ted and the fighter, and he's good in the other guys. I would like to think he doesn't take most of his action roles too seriously as they feel more like comic relief. Thanks for another great episode. Hope to visit the cinema soon. Thanks, David. Uh-huh. That was a good shout. I don't think we, I think I, we, I said Ted. Yeah, we did the, joke about Ted. The fighter. I forgot about the fighter. He's excellent in that movie. Yeah. And, and the other guy, he's good in as well. And it, he's funny. He's funny. But I do think he takes himself too seriously, especially since he renounced Boogie Nights. I don't know if we even mentioned that because he's all Christian and shit now. He's like, yeah, you did mention that. He fully like regrets that shit, and it's like, have you seen his routine? Have you seen Mark Wahlberg's daily routine? There's no way that dude doesn't take himself seriously. <laughs> have, have you seen that? No. Wait, could I? Oh, well, wait, could it was just it's a picture, and I'm gonna read it to you, and it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, but to fill the fill the gaps, we also didn't mention The Departed. I don't think and. Oh, he's great in that. He's yeah, pretty he must be the other guy. So yeah, we kind of we kind of forget. Um, Mark Wahlberg's okay. It's just he's like I don't know. He's bad in a lot of things. Bro, here we go. Here we go. Oh my god. Okay. So he posted this on Instagram because somebody asked what was his daily routine, and this is what he wrote: typical daily schedule: two thirty a.m. wake up. Two forty-five. Already calling bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> two forty-five prayer time. 3.15, so he prayed for half an hour. 3.15, breakfast. 3.40 to 5.15, workout. 5.30, post-workout meal. 6 a.m., shower. 7.30, golf. So it takes him an hour and a half to shower. And got, he then he golfed for half an hour. 8 a.m., snack. 9.30, cryo-chamber recovery. 10.30, another snack. 11, family time, meetings, work calls. You put them all together in like a three-hour clump. One o'clock. Fuck you, lunch. family. You're gonna have to like deal with me prioritizing work over you. <laughs> he worked. He, he wakes up at two thirty a.m. and doesn't see his family until eleven a.m. <laughs> actual psycho. One p.m. lunch. That's when everybody two, else wakes up. Yeah, like I guess human beings. <laughs> two p.m. meetings, work calls. Three p.m. pick up kids at school. Three thirty snack. Four p.m. workout. Two. 5 p.m. shower, 5.30 dinner, family time, 7.30 bedtime. I hate this guy. You, you're telling me that guy doesn't take himself seriously? You fucking kid with a schedule like that? I couldn't be friends with Mark Goldberg with a schedule like that. Where does he How, fit when in his you... shits? Exactly. As much he snack as he's doing, you know, he's got to be shitting himself. <laughs> he just <laughs> rolls with it. And we'll never know. Yeah. Pain right. and gain. He don't look in pain and gain. And that's the last one I'll throw out. Daddy's home. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm just I, no, not that one. To be honest, I haven't seen it. I really <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did get an email as well this week, which was really nice. Uh, it's from our pal Johnny. He said it was way back in Christmas 2019 when I last went to the PCC, and that was for the Muppets Christmas Carol sing along. <laughs> now, in the past two weeks, I've been twice, and boy, does it feel good. Went to see Battle Royale for the first time. Nice, nice, good, good watch. And picked up my lifetime membership. Thanks, man. Side note, pretty sure it was Big DM Phil. <laughs> what, who what, served Phil? us 
So shout out if I correctly spotted a wild fill. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Uh-huh. There are a lot. The guy <laughs> with unkept hair and a beard. <laughs> yeah. Being a big Wes Anderson mark, I'm more than hyped. Uh, <laughs> 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 completely Chipped didn't over. like read this, uh, and I'm laughing at it now. I did read it, but I'm like, I don't remember that line. It's actually pretty funny. Being a big Wes Anderson mark, I'm more than I'm more hyped than Mr. Anderson getting a main event push. <laughs> I'm glad someone appreciates my little adage of Mr. Anderson uh, Kennedy. Wait for it. Wait for it. Anderson. Sorry. Um, he never get no main event push. <laughs> yeah, he dropped. <laughs> Dropped fucking Randy Orton on his head. Bada, yeah, I made fuck. a good push. <laughs> Never forget. Called a last minute bottle rocket screening this week after listening to the podcast and looking forward to seeing Royal Tenenbaums on the big screen as well. Changing lives. This was kind of funny. I, did, I didn't know if he was like seriously asking this or not, but he said, got a cue the pre film video of how the PCC is making it safe for folk. They are playing a song, but the credits flash past in a second. Who is that? Keep the catchy new jingles coming, Johnny. Um, he's actually talking about my song, and it was kind of embarrassing to say that because it was like I got this email and I was just like, "Oh God, it's my song." Like I wouldn't. But he played. liked the song, dude. Yeah, he likes my song. song, and that's cool. And he did reply back and said thanks because I sent him the link to the song. Uh, so I appreciate that, Johnny. Uh, but it is kind of embarrassing, like to say, "Oh yeah, that's my song." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote it. Pat myself on the back. Um, I love that song. That's one of my yeah, favorites of yours. Because I like, I don't know if I like. I didn't make that video, uh, hence why it was so good. Because uh, it's a really good video. <laughs> it's cut really. Yeah. It's the song that makes that video. It's like could it, it cut to it at the yeah. end, and it really hits home. It's great. Yeah. Um. But that was Sophia who made it, and I like I said to him, I wouldn't have put that song in the. Yeah. <laughs> That's just because like it's weird. It's awkward for me to to have done that. It's like I'm happy to pimp my music out to people, but not like in a video that I'm that I would make for the cinema. That yeah. just feels kind of strange. Um, <laughs> but if someone asked me like, "Oh, can I use your song in that video?" which is what happened, I was like, "Yeah, sure, mm. sure, go ahead." Uh, but I appreciate it, Johnny. If you want to listen to that song that he's talking about, it's called. Uh, see, here's the pimping part. There you go. I'm pimping out my. Here we songs. go. Here we go. Listen, it's over on Spotify. Type in "Tall." manifest destiny you'll get the ep i did uh and it's uh called westward expansion there's another cool song on there called the bison i released it like around this time last year Mm. um so it's time that i uh, actually get back to work to release more music it's been a long time jesus christ (laughs) year goes by really quick guys yeah all right let's get into this episode we're in week four of our little arc pitting the films of Wes Anderson versus Paul Thomas Anderson against each other. And as of recording, we've yet to get another person mention Paul W.S. Anderson. So thankfully, we got the hang of it. Everyone figures out what we're doing here. It's time for Anderson versus Anderson. As you can see, we've had our eye on Mr. Anderson. 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 Mr. 
Niners, and welcome back. Last week, Phil and I, we rolled back into school, and we flunked out of Wes Anderson's Rushmore, so that means this week we are coincidentally talking about director Paul Thomas Anderson's epic film of coincidences and daddy issues. <laughs> Phil, what film are we talking about today? Magnolia. <laughs> it still works. Yeah, it still works. Magnolia. There are stories of coincidence and chance and intersections and strange things told. And which is which and who only knows. And we generally say, well, if that was in a movie, I wouldn't believe it. I'm Frank T.J. Mackey. I'm Jimmy Gator. I'm Phil Farmer. I'm Dixon. I'm Chris Donny Smith. I'm Linda Partridge. I'm Al Partridge. I'm Officer Jim Curring. I'm Claudia Wilson Gator. Oh, for the sake of These strange things happen all the time. On one random day in the San Fernando Valley, a dying father, Jason Robards, a young wife, Julianne Moore, a male caretaker, aka nurse, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the dying man's long-lost fuckboy son who teaches incels how to be chads, Tom Cruise. Is that the actual synopsis? Did you write that? I wrote that, of course. Yeah. You know Google ain't that good. Uh, a game show host stricken with cancer, Philip Baker Hall. The game show host's daughter, who is estranged from said host because of weird things, Melora Walters. A police officer looking for love, John C. Riley. A boy genius, Jeremy Blackman. And an ex-boy genius, <laughs> William H. Macy, will become part of a dazzling multiplicity of interwoven plots. It's the 1999 epic psychological drama from Paul Thomas Anderson. It's Magnolia. Phil, hot takes out the gate. This is going to be a heavy one. Yeah. To talk about. I see what you mean about, like, you know, one director stuff is easier to talk about. Maybe more <laughs> exciting to talk about. I can't say I was looking forward to this episode. But I don't know, because I'm more interested in what you have to say. I'll go. But, I'm happy. But, I'm happy to go. I'm genuine after Boogie Nights and after because I thought Boogie Nights was going to be a fucking easy sell for you. Yeah. And so I'm genuinely because I don't think I'm going to say anything too surprising about yeah. my thoughts on Magnolia. But I, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll go first. Um, Hot take. Phil, I actually fucking love this movie. Very good. Fuck yes. Very good. Fuck yes. We got one, everyone. We got one. <laughs> well, you'll have some later because you know I like, you know, There Will Be Blood. 2007 is one of my favorite film years ever. And course, I've yeah. already, I think I've already said that I've, I I pretty much did like uh, Punch Drunk Love and I'm looking forward to watching it again. And it wasn't yeah, that long yeah. ago that I'd seen it. But yeah, I think it, what it is, Boogie Nights is just like there's nothing in the story for me that makes me like really excited about it. And rewatching it like for the first time since I was like 15, I'm like 31 now, almost 32, and I just didn't really care. And mm. it was too long for the it was it felt like it was like long for the sake of being long. Uh, where it didn't really just like the story didn't justify its length. Whereas this film 
it's longer, like it's just but it justifies it. Hours. And it works because it's like everybody fucking, their stories are told in a way that it all works and it weaves together and it's very cleverly done where like, I think he's just smarter the way he wrote this film. It's like yeah. everybody's story works. Every like it starts off really funny as well. Like you have the really funny, like interesting sort of like weird coincident, coincidental like things that are going on. And he the shot that with like a proper old school camera and stuff to make it look cool and like yeah. very funny little bits. And then you get into the story of the actual like present day and like everyone's stories like have this like sort of nuance of being like a, some of them are a bit funny some are a bit sad and then like they all mm. sort of like take these weird journeys together and interweave and it's just i don't know like i cared more about what was being said i felt like there was more of a human condition going on in that film mm. more than like boogie nights which is like i i, I don't care about like drugs and like you know, yeah, Boogie like, Nights is more know. blunt, and yeah. I don't want scandalous is not the right word. Raunchy is not the right word, but it's you know it's cool. It's yeah. sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yeah, and kind of in your face about it. With this, it's like a lot of drugs, but none of it is uh, glamorized. Yeah, and it's know? real it's shit. Fucking sad. That's, it's that's real it. addiction that's and it. real trauma. Glamorized is a good word because that's what Boogie Nights feels like. It's like it feels almost like it's glamorizing that like era, and it was because he was mm. like obviously in love with like that old school porn era. And it's like, yeah. I get it if you're into it, but it does nothing for if me. If porn so is your care. thing, whatever. <laughs> but this film, like it, like, yeah, it has, it feels more human and more real and more like approachable, like, uh, for everyone. Like, it's just something that like a lot of people, I feel like if you watch it, you could feel something from it. Like there's like, you know, something to laugh about, something to like be sad about, cry about. Um, mm. If you've had a parent that's passed away, you can kind of like feel how you can relate. You can relate and also feel how people like uh, if you have like issues with your parents and stuff, I can feel it a little bit more. The last film, I was laughing at the scene with the issue with the mother because it felt like sort of it just felt fake and forced and like just and also childish it's, it came from a very childish place whereas like this Here, was everybody was a lot more adult and it was like yeah and it's painful in yeah this movie. yeah yeah so i did appreciate this one a lot more it's very long but it didn't feel like it was very long it I, never I was kind of yeah i was kind of with it like i wasn't checking the time per se like i i was like aware that it's long yeah, because you have to, like, you have to like, you know, yeah, you know when you're watching like, it's like when you watch like the Irish movie, it's like, this, yeah. this is my day. Yeah. Or like Justice League, this is my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's good to hear. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to say much di- different. Magnolia is a mesmerizing piece of art. It's insane. It's a lot though. I can understand why people wouldn't like it more than I can understand why you wouldn't like Boogie Nights, I get, I, I understand your reasoning. Yeah. But Magnolia can come off, it's long, and it's a lot of characters. They all pay off, and everyone gets a lot of room to breathe, and a lot of, you get a lot of time to explore them. But it can it can come off very pretentious and a bit, I don't know, self-aggrandizing, I guess. Yeah. It's a big movie, and it knows it's a big movie, but like just the endurance of it. Of this again, I think I said it with Boogie Nights, but like it's it's here, it's, mo- it's most impressive here. A twenty-something PTA making a three-hour-long emotional psychological epic about several interconnected stories all over uh, California, and it never 
stops. Like the camera never fucking stops moving. It's yeah. just it's easy to watch. It's easy to roll to roll with. It's like it lulls you into this weird state, emotional state when you're watching it. Like like the op- like you mentioned the opening. It's got one of the greatest openings I think to any movie with the short sort of black and white film montage of yeah. There are all these like weird chances of weird like matter of chance events. Yeah. Like the scuba diver, three men that were hanged. And I love that bit. I remember seeing that bit. They showed us that bit in uni and I was like, I have to watch this movie. Yeah. And then they showed us out of context, the wind up scene where they all sing together. Yeah. 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 And I was like, it doesn't work out of context. It, like, it doesn't watching that out of context. I was like, I don't want to watch context, that. But yeah. Because yeah, like you could. It's a great ne- scene when it comes, but you could never. Yeah, watching that out of context, I was like, "This looks fucking stupid." So yeah, it took me a yeah. while to get to Magnolia. Yeah, but I'm so glad it did. Cause that moment, yeah, it, it does work. It, it seems really out of context. So nice, like it's very funny, like and interesting, and like it's a it's a different pace as well. It feels like yeah, it feels like you're getting into something different, which I like, and I think it only gets like you know that only gets better with pta as it gets older i'm not like saying this film's like perfect by any means it's like there are some Mm. elements to it that are a bit like weird and kind of funny and you can see that like it's paul thomas anderson being like 20 something and on coke and different view on the world yeah yeah, and you know it's like i think everyone's almost like all, all these directors and stuff who are young when they start and like have some you know some big ideas uh yeah I think are all kind of allowed at least like one of these sort of things where, you know, can pull them off. It, it yeah. just, it, you know, it's a massive undertaking. Yeah. It's like, it's not like a, it's, it's that same sort of thing where it's like, you, you're saying a lot of stuff. Like for instance, like Richard Kelly trying with Donnie Darko, he was trying to say all this stuff. He had these big ideas and you know, he was that culminating. Yeah. yeah. And he just couldn't like really get it out the way he wanted to and when he finally did it was kind of weird and it's just like obviously Paul Thomas Anderson is just a better filmmaker who <laughs> you know and he had like carte blanche in this in this film as well to really you like, could feel it I can't believe they let him make this movie yeah. when I watch it when I watched it it was just like this is absolutely insane like yeah. not even just scope and story but the but because it's a challenging movie on top of it mm-hmm. because it's it's got this I, I guess this I don't, I don't even know what to, to, to call it, this weird abstract spiritual thing going throughout. Yeah. Well, I know it's obviously a meditation on, on life, and the film is quite life-affirming in a weird way because of all the, it captures all these small moments that make up our existence really well and how we're all tied together and we are all experiencing this thing yeah. that is amazing and painful all together. But mm-hmm. like, then you have the frogs. <laughs> and it becomes a religious experience yeah. this movie and it's just, you realize you're watching this like unyield unyieldy thing like just run off the rails but it's amazing to watch it's not and it's not like a disaster it's amazing but you're like i can't believe they let him they let him do it and that all of these ideas are working right now like yeah, i'm with yeah. you there are bits of it i don't i think work uh, you know are weaker it's got i think it just that's gonna happen with ensemble stuff it's like Pulp Fiction. There's bits of Pulp Fiction I, I don't like, I would take right out. But because you're watching this ensemble thing, it works as a whole. Yeah. But yeah, still, yeah. there are still moments that you could pull at. But the good is really good. And every character is interesting. Yeah. So even definitely. if you don't like one, yeah. 
you're on to the next one soon enough. And I also, also find that like characters make a, and I'll get to it as we, we like particularly the main one that made a sort of bad first impression, but then redeem themselves. And that kind of happens a bit in this film where it's like, you might not like them originally in the first scene, but then it starts to kind of grow on you. And as they interact with another character, yeah. it's like it redeems itself. Uh, um, well, let's just get into it after the critical and financial success of Paul Thomas Anderson's second film, Boogie Nights, Michael DeLuca and New Line Cinema teamed back up with their director, giving him, as I said, carte blanche to make any movie he wanted while retaining final cut in the process. So there's no more <laughs> negotiations. He was in the position to say, hey, do what I, I can do what I want to do. So he quickly accepted and realized I was in this position. I would never be in again. So he was just like, I'm doing it. I'm going to make this big movie. But actually, he started getting ideas when he was editing Boogie Nights. And originally he thought he could make something small, quick and intimate, something that could be shot in like 30 days. And he already had the title of Magnolia before even writing the script. But of course, that wasn't the final result. He said, I started to write and well, it kept blossoming. And I got to a point where still it's a very intimate movie, but I realized I had so many actors I wanted to write for that the form started to come more from them. Then I thought it would be really interesting to put this epic spin on topics that don't necessarily get epic treatment, which is usually reserved for war movies or political topics. But the thing that I know as big and emotional are these really intimate everyday moments, like losing your car keys, for example. You could start with something like that and go anywhere. So that's sort of like how he kind of came up with the idea and then he he's apparently he was writing the most of the screenplay for magnolia while he was like at william h macy's isolated cabin in <laughs> rural vermont and what really helped him was he was apparently outside at one point and he saw a snake and it freaked him out and he was too afraid to leave the cabin so he just hunkered down and just ended up writing and writing and writing and just ended up with this lengthy manuscript okay goddamn madman <laughs> so yeah bring some snakes next time you uh you know if you're writing and just put them outside your door that's what i do yeah, that's what you do <laughs> yeah keep a basket of snakes in the closet for just <laughs> when i need to when i need to yeah. work it's like that like episode of smackdown where triple h walks into the room that just says snakes <laughs> <laughs> why why are there snakes backstage at a wwe event who put them there <laughs> makes no sense jake robert obviously <laughs> uh the first ideas that he had were for the characters of claudia who are melora walters and her father jimmy gator uh philip baker hall Anderson imagined Hall walking up the steps of Walter's apartment and having an intense confrontation with her. All right. So this is what I oh, meant gosh, by this is fucked up. first opening impressions. Uh, I think it's because it starts off really well and we haven't gotten to her character yet of Claudia. And yeah. when her character makes her appearance, it's just like very shrill, like screaming, get out, get out, get out. And it's like, the whole scene's kind of like off-putting and mm. it's meant to be. And I know yeah. that now in retrospect, but at the time it was sort of like, Oof. whoa, Jesus Don't Christ. Be this is, yeah, like this yeah. is too intense. <laughs> yeah, It's like yeah. a very intense scene. And it's sort of like, all right, well, maybe we could have gotten rid of this relationship and just mm. like not had it in the movie. But then when she ends up meeting uh, 
John C. Riley's character, it's it. She starts to get a lot more interesting, and then you start to peel back layers of like her relationship with her father. Uh, with man, her mother is Melinda Dillon as well. I absolutely yeah. love Melinda Dillon. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very. I don't know. That's that's funny. I thought you me- I thought you meant Tom Cruise at the beginning. No, Tom Cruise <laughs> actually, he's a bit fuckboy for sure, but it's kind of fun to watch. Like it's funny. Okay. It's pretty funny to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I said what I said in the synopsis that I wrote, and I mean that. He's like, just this fucking <laughs> Turning in Felden to Chad. Yeah, I mean, that's what... Yeah. I, I mean, it's the game. It's riffing off the game, yeah, which was yeah. big at the time, yeah. Yeah, so it's... it's. I mean, that shit's stupid, but, um, mm. you know, it's kind of funny to watch. But it's like, I also wonder if... I wonder about Paul Thomas Anderson sometime, especially at this period of time. <laughs> if that's, like, somehow, like... Him, I mean, I know where he got that from, and I'll say it in a little bit when I get to his character for uh, Tom Cruise, but mm. there's something about it. It just feels like Paul Thomas Anderson's like got that fuck boy inside of him. You know what I mean? I, I think uh, Magnolia, it's like a uh, Winnie the Pooh situation where every character is like uh, representative of like a different psychological condition that like PTA is. From. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he is everyone in yeah. that movie. There's a bit yeah, of fuckboy yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise, but there's a bit of this like really kind guy trying to do right, Johnny Riley, and there's the drug addict and Claudia, and there's the person dealing, you know, with you know issues with their partner and their parent, and yeah, and this, I think Quiff Kid is like him trying, you know, dealing with former success and. It's like whether he would be able to recapture it. Maybe that would be him one yeah, day. Absolutely. There's yeah. lots of things playing at once. PTA also did a lot of research on the magnolia tree and discovered a concept that eating the tree's bark helped cure cancer. There's a lot of dealing with cancer in this film. There's a couple of characters that are uh, one that's in late stages and one that like uh, has only just really discovered that he's gotten cancer. And mm. Um, just dealing with that and there's a lot of i think a lot of that because pta's father in real life was going through uh cancer treatment was very sick um so mm-hmm. it was like him dealing with his father being i guess his father's deathbed as well so this yeah is i mean you can feel really it start to come into play <laughs> you can feel it you yeah. could just feel it happening right there and it's like at big in the movie and it's rooted in something so small and i think mm-hmm. it's PTA trying to deal with losing his father. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. There's something really kind of powerful about that idea. Yeah, definitely. PTA also uh, wrote the script while listening to Amy Mann's music. So, hence, while yeah. Amy Mann's music is very prevalent throughout this film, this episode, like, is not, I'll go ahead and say it's not in my normal sort of format because, like, there's just, like, like the way this film and the story is told and the characters and the way it interwe- interweaves with each other, it's almost the way I wrote this episode mm. uh, by accident because it's like you kind of need these things like Amy Mann's music is what was, you know, kicking It's another off. character in the it's movie. another character in the film is really kicking off like, you know, so she's going to come up a little bit. So just bear with me as we're going through it. But yeah, he was listening to her music. He, he originally met her in 1996 when he asked her husband, Michael Penn, to write the score for Hard Eight. Michael Penn being the brother of Sean Penn and Chris Penn. And Chris so, Penn. Yeah, they were, uh, hu- they're still husband and wife, Amy Mann and 
Michael Penn. And yeah, so Paul Thomas Anderson then used her two solo albums and some demo tracks from a new album that Mann was working on as a basis and inspiration for the film. He encouraged her to write songs for the film by sending her a copy of the script. And in particular, Mann's song Deathly on her album <laughs> Bachelor Number no. 2 or The Last Remains of Dodo inspired the character of Claudia. At one point in the movie, Claudia uses part of the lyric as dialogue. So it's like when she's with John C. Riley and uh, after they've met each other and you know, had their like sort of, you know, she, she like, you know, tells him a little bit more about herself. And then she goes, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? Which is a line from that song. Which is a great line. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. Speaking of John C. Riley. Before Boogie Nights came out, so PTA and John C. Riley were unemployed and obsessed with cops, and they're just watching cops on John C. Riley decided he was going to grow out a mustache for fun, just looking like one of the officers from the TV show. He started toying with an unintelligent cop character, and PTA insisted that they do their own parody show, which they shot with. People like Jennifer Jason Lee and Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> and some of John C. Riley's lines in those shorts that they made actually made it into the movie. But his character actually became a little bit more smart and more yeah. sympathetic because PTA wanted to make him the romantic lead of the film, something that he hadn't really done before because most, most of the time to that point, he'd only played like heavies or dumb childlike men. So. This is yeah. his and he moment. knocked out the park. He's yeah. so good in this film. Yeah, only sure. that bit at the beginning where he's like cruising, you know, and he's just like, I get a call, bad news. Yeah. And I'm the only thing, you know, standing between <laughs> yeah. something going wrong and something going right. Yeah. And that feels like a like a cop little like sound bite. Yeah. But yeah, part, yeah. And, I mean, but that's a great way to introduce him. After that, he's he's pretty He's a uh, pretty funny character for sure. Pretty funny character. He's yeah. one of my favorite characters, just this sort of I yeah he's sort of not stupid you're right but like he's still a bit bumbling, dumb. <laughs> a bit dumb, bit bumbly, loses his gun and yeah. shit. Like, but the little so, kid tells him like who that fucking, kid is amazing. Yeah, he's so good. He raps With out the, who fucking did it. Yeah, that and was, he's like listen, listen to me. Yeah, so that was a bit of a a problem with the film because it felt like there was a little bit of that story was a bit unresolved. Because it mm. felt like it was going somewhere. And I think what happened was they, you there know, they more briefly it. showed this guy and he was running and John C. Riley was chasing him and he like lost his gun and somebody was shooting at him and stuff. And, you know, and he freaks out and it just has this whole thing where he like loses his gun. And then it just, when the frogs happen, it magically just falls from the sky, which is kind of dumb, but it's like, I know PTA is playing with that, like sort of weird ass like coincidence Biblical thing. thing um and that one that that one feels a bit forced i kind of like all the other weird coincidences that start to happen which we'll talk to talk about a little later but yeah, yeah it's just that one's really funny uh but yeah i think what they were going to do originally they were going to have that character in the film and they just mm. cut him out i think it was going to be orlando jones oh yeah and he was cut yeah, out yeah. so he, he was i guess i don't know was he like the kid's father or yeah, yeah. Something in what was the kid calling him? Because he kept rapping and he was saying his name, and John C. Riley just didn't listen to him and did, just he wasn't like, listening. Wouldn't, he was like, I told you, I told you who it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember the actual rap. Yeah. It's a great, yeah, it's a great little moment. Yeah, I mean, because I know PTA like has actually come out and said, like, you know, years later that he 
felt this film was too long and he would have like cut shit out. Like I, you know, as good as that little kid was and as good as those like moments before John C. Riley are like, it almost feels like you could have cut out the whole thing. Cause it kind of felt like it didn't really go anywhere. But, yeah, and you got to keep what you need here. Yeah. Like, it's already a very long movie. Yeah. I mean, like, a good, cause we're going to cover a lot here. And but it, for such a big movie, you can't cover everything. Yeah. For anyone interested, they should just go see the, uh, the, that great documentary about the making of Magnolia mm-hmm. called uh, That Moment, This Moment, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's great. I mean, not really. Now, especially since the shit we talked about, Boogie Nights, but him, like, you know, stressing about the movie and he's making it and then the bit where he's like talking to fiona apple yeah okay as the movie i was gonna bring this up and that's I a have this weird that's a weird it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny in that you can very understand strange. it's very strange and but you understand how his what his mind is thinking what he's going through and he's just yeah. like yelling at her about her length and her frog then you know oh, boogie nights made money people like boogie nights yeah and it's just but again no knowing more about that relationship it's, yeah it's not great all right we can get into it because i have that down it was something i was gonna hit in a second anyway so it's fine we can just mm. jump ahead and i'll jump back mm. but all right so last episode of pta we did boogie nights and you were saying i think there's something else in magnolia you were kind of alluding to something and I was wondering if it was this because uh, I was looking around trying to find some extra mm. things. And I happened to read another interesting story from Fiona Apple that was like from the same shit I was reading last time. But I just like missed this the bit it was in a different yeah. article. But she was basically saying during her relationship with PTA, she said I had quit cocaine years earlier after spending one excruciating night at Quentin Tarantino's house, listening to him and Paul Thomas Anderson brag. I would quit cocaine after that. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> she said every addict should get just locked in a private movie theater with QT and PTA on coke, and they'll never want to do it again. <laughs> uh, I think she's right. I remember I, I saw when, fuck, it was like Inherent Vice and a Tarantino movie came out around the same time, and they did like a sit-down interview. Yeah. And it was like an hour, two hours long. And it's just them fucking talking movies, not really yeah. talking about anything. And it's kind of unbearable yeah. to watch. And it's mostly Tarantino, to be fair. But yeah, that, I mean, props to Fiona Apple for surviving a night like that. Yeah, I think there's just certain directors that have that mis- that thing about them, that all, like the auteurship about them that like, you know, you just don't, I don't want to hear from them. Shut the fuck up. Like, you know, you get enough props as it is. Like, you don't you know, give people like props. your fucking movies enough. We don't need you to like, do three hour like you know fucking dialogues on everything that comes out of your brain like mm. you know it's just like it's too much it's too intense and you get i don't know just- yeah and to be fair pta tends to be pretty good with that like i've seen a lot of q and with him and he's the first to not talk about his movies he would much rather hear other people's interpretations and he's very sure he won't go on and on yeah, and on yeah about how good he is and what he was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, when he came to the cinema, like, uh, you know, he's come a couple of times, but when he came for the, you know, Inherent Vice, like, he was pretty chill and he was very nice and he just jumped on stage without a microphone. He didn't even want a microphone. He didn't want anyone to really know that he was there. He just wanted to be a nice little surprise and he just, like, was very, very cool and to the point. It was, like, very quick fun for the people there and he didn't like say anything annoying and he was very nice so 
Um, but yeah, it's just like back then it must've been unbearable. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, I found the weird video of Fiona Apple playing. So what it is, is she's playing the role playing of the of film Magnolia. Magnolia while PTA is berating her, but AKA berating the movie. And it's just, yeah. it's very, very strange. A weird little yeah. skit. Yeah. And Fiona Apple is also responsible for many of the paintings in the movies. Hey, hey. Nice little twist. Uh, no, so all right. So the idea for the kids' quiz show came from PTA's own experiences. Uh, is working as an assistant for a show called uh, Kids Quiz Challenge, and the character Jimmy Gator was insi- inspired by the game show hosts like Bob Barker and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the kid Jeremy Blackman, who's the kid genius, he made his feature film debut in Magnolia. Uh, Stanley Specter is the name of the kid. Uh, in the film, the character. Uh, but before that, he was actually a recipient of the president president of the United States Award for Outstanding Academic Achievement. So he actually was a oh, he was a smart kid. kid. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't done much. Like, yeah, I don't recognize him. Been in a few things here and there. Uh, I feel like I know his face so goddamn well, but I think it literally is just from this film. And like, mm. uh, like I used to use the GIF all the time of him smiling as like the silhouette of the frogs falling by him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a beautiful shot, a very interesting shot. It's fun, but um, his ca- all right. So this is where it kind of t- ties into Fiona Apple a little bit. His character not being able to use the restroom by the. I guess P.A. Cynthia. The, yeah, the producer. Yeah. Is uh, fl- played by Felicity Huffman, who is the uh, wife of William H. Macy. If you have been keeping up in the last few years, she was famously uh, put in prison for a few days for cheating to get her kid into college. There's a whole oh shit, I forgot college that was her. Yeah, she like yeah. bribed the school. Or yeah, her and Lori Lawlin, uh, who used to be Aunt Becky and in full house Fuck. Uh, yeah they they had this whole scheme them and some mothers and stuff like all these mothers kind of getting their kids into these like ivy league schools and shit and just cheating the emissions and stuff and uh yeah very That's fucked up but william h macy, like a storyline in this yeah william h macy did not get in trouble uh somehow but anyway they were husband and wife at the time <laughs> of this this film coming out i think so anyway uh that's a side story, but anyway, that whole thing of, you know, Stanley not being able to use the toilet and he ends up pissing himself was based on a story that Fiona Apple actually once told Paul Thomas Anderson. She said that she had to go to a bathroom in some sort some kind of taping situation that she was doing. They just said, well, can you just hold it and do this thing for us first? And she did. And when she told me this story, I wanted to strangle every person involved. <laughs> <laughs> You do, and you do in that thing. You're yeah. like, for fuck's sake, just let this kid take a piss. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, he just wants to fucking piss. Let him piss. <laughs> just let the boy yeah. piss, damn it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I really, I'll get to it in a bit. There's a lot of duality in this film, and it's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, there's a lot of like with William H. Macy's character and stuff and how he's like dealing with his, you know, being a former child genius and used to be on the mm. same damn show and everybody knew him as sort of this quasi celebrity and stuff and, and he's now he's like, getting braces yeah but he's had, <laughs> he has those sort of like moments where he's talking about like you know when he was a kid his parents just treating him shitty like you know and it's just like and the same thing happened again just yeah. a cycle of abuse and yeah. it's horrible to to watch yeah uh the role of earl partridge 
was originally written for and ultimately played by Jason Robards in his final film role. It's fucked. It's a weird one because he's like dying essentially yeah. as he's making filming this locked role. Yeah, he was dying, dying in real life because um, he did have cancer. But at first, Robards he wasn't actually going to be in the film, and he couldn't accept the the role at first because of a serious staph infection. Uh, so Paul Thomas Anderson went to George C. Scott, <laughs> who, according to PTA threw the script across the room and said, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever read. The language is terrible. <laughs> I want no part in this. I, I don't know what it is. Is I, I always really love reading these funny things about these like old dudes who just give PTA shit. It's just kind of funny. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So also he, at one point was trying to get like Burt Reynolds. We mentioned this, on the Boogie Nights <laughs> episode, he was trying to get Burt Reynolds to play nope. a character. I don't know if it was meant to be this character or if it was the game show host or what, but yeah. Maybe the game show host. But yeah, yeah Burt Reynolds said, fuck no. Been there, done that. Fuck PTA. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, but Robards eventually did manage to take the part. He said of his character before he passed away that it was sort of prophetic that I'd, uh, I'd be asked to play a guy going out in life. It was just so right for me to do and bring what I know to it. According to Philip Baker Hall, much of the material with Partridge was actually just based on Paul Thomas Anderson's actual father, uh, Mm. who did die of cancer. And also, I mean, you know, he was this like television executive and everything. And he was the person who created the game show. And yeah, there's that whole thing kind of going on. And like PTA's real father was in television and had TV shows and blah, blah, blah. So you know, I guess that was like him writing what he knew. Mm. All right. So we have a dying father and we need to reunite him with his uh, long lost estranged son, Tom Cruise. Tommy Cruise. All right. So Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman watched Boogie Nights one night while shooting Eyes Wide Shut. Tom Cruise enjoyed the film so much that he actually called PTA to congratulate him and invited him to Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut set in England, which PTA did go out. And after they met... You would. Yeah. Yeah. After they met, Tom Cruise asked Paul Thomas Anderson to write a role for him. PTA initially got the idea of the pickup artist character Frank T.J. Mackey from his friend who taught an audio recording engineering class. Uh, two students in his friend's class talked one day in a recording studio and their teacher happened to record it. When the teacher played the unlabeled tape years later, he was shocked to hear the two students talking all this trash about women and quoting a man named Ross Jeffries, who was teaching a new version of the Eric Weber course, How to Pick Up Women. But utilizing hypnotism and subliminal language techniques. Fucking gross, this- this sort of stuff. Yeah. So Paul Thomas Anderson had John C. Riley and Chris Penn read the transcription of the tape and incorporate it into Mackey's character. And Jeffries later said the actual guy who they were quoting, Ross Jeffries said he lifted some stuff almost word for word and he even considered suing, uh, but he ended up not doing so because according to Jeffries, he liked the movie. So he came off well in it. (laughs) Frank T.J. Mackey was offered to cruise six months after their meeting. 
And after Anderson finished the script, he sent Cruz a copy. And the next day, the actor called him. Cruz was interested but nervous about the role because of basically, you know, it's not really his image. <laughs> subject matter, yeah. yeah. Uh, PTA met with Tom Cruise along with New Line's Michael DeLuca, who helped convince the actor to do the film. But as part of his contract, Tom Cruise was purposely barely visible on the movie poster because he would have overshadowed the ensemble cast and his character, as the New York Times put it, was inconsistent with the Cruise brand at the time. <laughs> but that's what's great about this performance. This, yeah. this, look, Tom Cruise, and look, like Marky Mark, it's a very successful actor, mm. but it's known for, you know, running fast and like holding on to side the plane. I can count on one hand, really, you know, beyond his early years, how many times I've seen him really push himself as an actor, which is a shame because he's a good actor when pushed. Um, even if he's a fucking psycho in real life, whatever. Yeah. Don't yeah, yeah. don't want to get into the Scientology <laughs> thing. We yeah. have the master for that. Yeah. But I this might be my favorite Tom Cruise. I think it's insane. I don't even think he understands what he's doing. I feel it's like an uncontrollable performance he's putting out, especially when he's dealing with his father on his deathbed. It's like so real. It's so uncomfortable. It's, mm. I, it's like this and like Rain Man and like Tropic Thunder. You know, like, and don't, all for different reasons, but for like movies that I stop seeing Tom Cruise in and I just see the character and I really get to see him shine as a performer, this is it. Like Magnolia really gives him, I think, his best performance. And it's because he's so out of, he's playing so against type. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's like, he's very good at doing the like fuck boy parts and then the parts where yeah. he's being a lot more vulnerable and like emotional and like dealing with his father and like the, the pain of like, you know, cause you know, it's like he goes there, you find out that basically Jason Robard just like really fucked over his mother uh, his, mm. his, you know, his father basically just left his mother to left die, her. left Tom yeah. Cruise there, like, uh, Frank, young Frank to there to take like care take care of her at age 14 and watch his mother die of cancer. And then his father's stricken with the same goddamn disease and he hates his fucking father for it. And then he goes mm. to, to see his father and he just fucking breaks down. Cause it's just like, it's probably just really traumatic having to relive what he went through with his mother. And then it's just that whole thing is like, it's still his fucking dad. And it's just like, yeah. you don't want to see that shit. And it's like, son of a bitch making me feel this way. And it's like a very Tom Cruise does it really well. Yeah. There's um, so much happening. In yeah. And moment. I, I don't know, like there's a few films to add to the list. Like there's, I think there's a few more. He's yeah, really sorry, good. Nice. Why shut uh, he in a, for different reasons. Cause it's like, you know, he's a lot more restricted in that film and like having to come out of like, you know, and explore. And it's that whole thing of like, just exploring, you know, a dark side to like your own sort of psyche. And that's psyche. like fucking Stanley Kubrick's good at fucking doing that. But mm. yeah, like I think he's really good in vanilla sky as well. Like that's a vanilla kind sky. Of an yeah. Underrated film. I think like it's it underrated. talked about enough. It's a very, I like that film. movie. Although I could rewatch it you know, now and be like, Might fuck be that good. movie. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I remember yeah. it being very good. Me um, too, yeah. He's good in that, yeah. But yeah, Tom Cruise actually helped shape this character, Frank T.J. Mackey, down to like his attire. He 
the hair. He convinced PTA <laughs> that he amazing. would wear like that armband, one of those like leather wrist masculine hero kind of things. And the whole wardrobe change. I think originally he was supposed to be wearing like a, you know, like polo shirts and like look almost like golf attire or something. Yeah, like Swayze and Donnie Duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But uh, several video reenactments of Mackie betting women were cut from the film. Like, I think they were supposed to be like in the movie, I guess, in his little things that he was doing on stage and stuff. And it wasn't until they started shooting the scene of Mackie stripping naked in front of uh Guinevere, the woman who was interviewing April Grace, journalist, yeah. that uh, Anderson told Tom Cruise to take his pants off in addition to his shirt. So that's why he's like, just basically pants down his fucking underwear with obviously stuffed underwear <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and just parading around and stretching and stuff. And uh, Tom Cruise asked, what? Like in Paul Thomas Anderson's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be funny. So that's what I mean. He's like, he's got that stupid fuckboy energy in him. Still. <laughs> Take um, your pants off. <laughs> the script as written had Mackie actually break down when he got to his father's door. But Tom Cruise felt that that didn't feel that that changed the scene. And, and, and that included him mm. adding the whole thing of like threatening Phil Parma by saying that he would drop kick the dogs if they got near him. I would drop kick the fucking dogs. <laughs> and then like he thought it would be really funny if like Mackie was afraid of K9. So it was just like, you know, he's so masculine on stage and saying all this bullshit. And then it's just like he's actually he's full, of shit. full of shit. He's a scared so, little boy yeah, at he's the a end con of the artist, day. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But let's get to Phil Farm uh Phil Parma. Who is uh, Phil Farmer? We Phil get the Farmer. reference. Yeah. yeah. Phil Parma. It's uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the nurse. Phil Parma. PTA wanted him to play a really simple, uncomplicated, caring character. And the actor described his character as someone who really takes pride in, every, in the fact that every day he's dealing with life and death circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of is like the heart in this film. He's like one of the most normal people in the movie. One of the few people without an agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and you think he has an agenda at first. It's really weird. That whole scene where he's like ordering the, um, but it's him. Like, yeah, he's trying to order the porno (laughs) magazines, but you don't really know why he's doing that. uh, Really? Like, you know, he's been asked by this point to find his son. Like, yeah. uh, the, the father asked him to find Tom Cruise's character, uh, Frank, but you don't know why he's ordering the porno magazines. And it's kind it feels kind of strange. And it's, shady. I love the shady. bit where the guy's like, do you want, do you, do you still, want the other stuff? Yeah, do you still want the, the bread and the, the peanut bread? butter? <laughs> <laughs> like you want just saying that for this water would weird, <laughs> which is great. Like very funny. Like a teenager trying to get alcohol. Yeah. Underage, so they buy a bunch of shit with it. Yeah. Just make it, don't make it, like make it look normal. Don't. Yeah. Like, also, a bottle of tequila and some Cheetos, gum, whatever, whatever you got. Yeah, this rotisserie chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I get a half chicken right there? But then, yeah, you realize that he's only gotten the porno magazine so that he can find an ad that has Frank T.J. Mackey's stupid bullshit, just so he can get like a, a phone number for him. Which, yeah, funny enough, he finally gets a number, and when. He calls this number. It's the wrong number in an attempt to reach Frank Mackey. The voice of the woman who answers the phone is Fiona Apple. So she's all over she's this. She's everywhere. Film. All over all the All over it. 
Uh, Phil Parma actually dials this number 818-755-3993 in the movie. When people dialed that number uh, while the film was in theaters. They spelled booby. (laughs) 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 When the film was in theaters and people dialed that number, they get a voicemail of a a flustered woman saying, please leave a message at the tone. And if you dialed uh, Frank T.J. Mackey's 1877 Tame Her, which was in the film as well, Mm. you would have heard Mackey's Seduce and Destroy program speech. (laughs) Seduce and Destroy. I love that they had those things actually going. That's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Last piece of that sort of trifecta of, well, it's, you know, it's four characters there, I guess, because... There's Park. a lot Phil of Parma's characters. kind of dealing with that as well. All that shit. He's the go between. But uh, Julianne Moore. Holy shit, Julianne Moore in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing. Like yeah. you just, I like weirdly enough, I was just talking to Jamie about it. Yeah. Shout out Jamie. 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 <laughs> Could we talk about a horror movie? And you're talking about uh, like East versus West, and it's like there's a thing with Western actors that that harder to get that like uh, like genuine emotion, like fear is like one of the hardest things to play. And we were talking about Shelley Duvall and The Shining, you know, like how she's the star of that movie because she smelled it so well. And she, he's like, I can't think of many other people that do like a genuine freak out well. Yeah. And the only other one he mentioned was like Julianne Moore in Magnolia. Yeah. Having her freak out moment in the pharmacy. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the best scenes ever because it's, it's so ugly, good. it's uncomfortable, but it's fucking real. And she's yeah. like, her voice is breaking and it's hard to watch. But that's what it would look like in a real life. If someone broke down like that, you wouldn't want to be in that moment. It's not like, it's not like an Oscar. It is, but not in a like a baby way where it's like the single tear comes rolling down and it's really powerful. It's real. Yeah, yeah. And it's just one of her greatest it's really more amazing in general, but like yeah. this is one of her best roles and that's one of her best scenes. Yeah. And she she's a big part of what makes the movie, at least for me. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's annoying because I didn't really find much information about like uh her in general, like for this film. There wasn't much, which is kind of crazy, but um, you know, I mean, the idea of her being written into the film was just like basically he was trying to, I guess, add this character who's crazed with you know pharmaceuticals mm. using too many pharmaceuticals, and it's probably just playing uh, off his own little another drug form of drug addiction. But she had but, another difficult arc. Like everyone has a difficult arc in yeah. this movie. A lot of them start unlikable and then become you you empathize with them and that she had a particularly yeah. hard one because you think she's just some gold digger who's married this guy but she's actually loved this dude yeah and now and yeah, now yeah. she has to lose him and it's this really brutal thing that she's being dragged through so yes she needs some drugs to get through it. yeah because you learn this whole thing of her like oh yeah it's like i at first i was a gold digger and i was only there yeah. for money and i was screwing around and sleeping around and then she goes to the lawyer to get her taken out of the will and yeah, yeah. Like because she's like, it. I care about him too much now, and I did fall in love with him. But then you kind of want it's the money. crazy because everyone's fucking doing it. It's like because he's doing it to her. He's he slept using around on her. her and he was using her and all that mess. And nobody yeah. appreciates each other. Yeah. And uh yeah, Tom Cruise's character, Frank, like, you know, she's freaking out because like she to her knowledge, they had this huge falling out and they don't want it to have anything to do with each other. And 
when she tells the lawyer, like, I don't want to be in the will and like, you know, take me out. And he's like, well, you don't have to take it out. Like, you know, you just refuse to accept the will and then it would just go to the next, you know, closest relative. And she's like, who is that? Is, is that Frank? It's not him. Not him. It can't <laughs> go to him. He doesn't want the money to go to him. And it's just like yeah. freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, it's really powerful. Like her whole, her whole performance in this film. Like, yeah. Going back to the pharmacy scene, it's like, Ah, man like she like just freaks out because <laughs> yeah she like those loses guys shit. like i get it too because like it's almost you get it really what is doing, none of their she, business but they not, have but to do their need, job yeah but she needs a little bit of help right there and yeah. it's like the two things that can't yeah coalesce <laughs> yeah. frustrating i yeah. mean i'm just realizing now as well to couldn't i forget how tom cruise connected with the thing it's just like the irony of a guy born from infidelity you know that's something that caused so much trauma and in life became like an instructor in trying teaching people to get many women as possible and not give any credence or weight to a single relationship just like how sad is that this guy who clearly just wanted his parents to be together yeah to like teach other people to just do it over and over and over again. You can see how this cycle keeps going and going and you catch this moment with everyone. They have a moment of revelation and like the frog, you know, it's just weird uniting <laughs> yeah. thing that forces them to stop and realize how fucking weird life is. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's, it's just a moment before they, we don't know if they change. Yeah. What I'm saying. Well, before we get to the frogs, cause we're, my God, we're going to talk about the frogs. Uh, one last person. We haven't really talked. We talked about him a little bit, but the last big part of this whole film is uh, William H. Macy. Yeah, yeah. Who Paul Thomas Anderson felt that, you know, the actor, you know, was scared of big emotional parts. And he wrote for him a big, tearful, emotional part because they, you know, worked together for the last couple of films and the friendly. Mm-hmm. And he wrote the film at his fucking, uh, his ranch cabin. or cabin yeah his cabin um so yeah it's a man a very fun part to be honest at times it's like william h macy is always playing this character it's very funny it's like it's funny. like we talked about a little bit like in in boogie nights it's like he's always playing the it's character the that's getting shit on and it's like <laughs> yeah constantly like it was such a thing for this time period because you know like you have fargo in 96 and you know boogie nights the year later and now you know a couple magnolia, years later couple magnolia years. it's just like he just keeps playing this character that's just weird and gets shit on and like has to like you know like do something to break the law or whatever you know it's just like he's driven to his like his wit into a in his own yeah. head really um yeah to like just have to like freak out and do something really drastic and it's like he's very good at playing these roles and he's very good in this film it's very funny <laughs> I don't know yeah. how you feel about the, his character. I love it. I think it's so funny. The whole like, I, I think it's just because the twist really like, because when you get to the coincidental parts at the end, which we can talk about before we really it all tied up. frogs is so funny. Cause yeah, it's the whole thing of him being this genius, like uh kid who like just has lost everything. And he's so like bitter about his parents and shit. Cause like he mm. felt like he was owed all this money. But when you see the check that, he had from the game show it was a hundred thousand dollars and yeah that's a lot of money and that could have helped him as a kid but that's not like like that would have set for life yeah you wouldn't have been set for life you you know that well would have dried 
sooner. You got to find something and, else. Yeah, point. and he's hanging on to like past fame and stuff. And it's like all these people know who he is. He's a quasi celebrity. And, you know, it's like, don't you know who I am? And then he's like, then he even starts to tell himself that he's stupid and stuff. He's like, I'm not smart anymore. And then he's like, <laughs> I love the scene where he goes in the bar the first like the first scene of him in the bar and he just goes in and he sits down and it's just the way he's in love with the bartender <laughs> yeah, the camera's following him in oh, yeah and it, it's like that fucking uh cam shot because he's like in and then you, you it just goes over and it pans over to like the fucking guy the bartender but you don't really with know the why and yeah. then it just like pans back around to him and the waitress comes up and he gets his drink and then it just like him like looking up and then it just shows what he's looking at and it's the bartender again and he by this point he's already mentioned that he wanted to get braces and the two guys who fire him from the store that he's at like are just like you don't need braces like you're crazy you don't need braces (laughs) and then when they do that shot where it just goes back to him and he's just sitting there with this fucking finger in his mouth touching his teeth and he's just looking at the guy who's been revealed to have braces just like oh he's in love with this guy and he just wants to get braces so he has an in and it's just that's all he wants fucking stupid it's so funny and then it's just beautifully wrapped up like where he's like he decides like oh, and he yeah <laughs> yeah he does this whole thing where he steals his money he freaks out like from the shop and he's gonna get his braces and then he's like he's he's like fuck i can't do this i don't want to like i don't want to do this i can't fucking steal this money this is dumb and he realized he broke his key off in the lock and then he has to go back into the place but he has to climb in and all the frogs happen he gets hit in the face by a frog and then falls on his fucking teeth <laughs> and he actually needs braces in the end. yeah it's like very funny, man. I it's, was laughing pretty hard. It's very, it's very funny. That's the only bit of the movie I could do without, to be honest. Really? Like I, I, I love, love it. Will, I love it. I love like, William H Macy. I needed man. that levity, to be honest, because it's like uh, this film is it. a hard watch without it. I th- I think you're right. Yeah, because I'm I'm probably not uh, accounting like trying to watch that movie without it. You do probably need it, and I love. I do like how it ties in. It tied into everything very well with the kid on the show and and then Philip Baker Hall on the show and it, yeah. and then him with John T. Riley later and it's like But yeah, I don't I don't I don't get it. I just it sort of kinda of, <laughs> it just feels very forced to me and very it kinda of goes nowhere. And yeah. it's because it's the smallest story and it's the most self isolated story. Um, you know, and it's a very simple thing of like one person doesn't need him then need braces and they can't get them. And it's a very simple and I get yeah. it, but, and it's funny, but like, yeah, I don't get much out of it. I don't like the scenes in the bar with that weird, like weird old guy there. And then he keeps just going on about angels and it's just, I don't know. There's something about it. It's like, again, the use the Pulp Fiction thing. It's like the Bruce Willis section of Pulp Fiction. I just, I don't, for some reason, I don't like vibe with it. it I think works that's the best part at the of whole. Fiction, to be honest. No, with yeah. his annoying fucking girlfriend. No, oh, I can't deal good. with it. I like, yeah. I like his. I think he's the heart of that film. To be honest, there's like, yeah. if if it's yeah. not Bruce Willis in there, it's like you're kind of. I, don't know. I know I'm being an idiot because I know you need those things, and the movies <laughs> wouldn't work without them. But they are for me just the most the the least interesting bit yeah but they're good they are right, good. The i think quick, I, quick stuff is good i think the the thing with me and the the scene in the bars and stuff that kind of like uh helps me out is the fact that i just like that old dude that like 
I know him from shit like Luck, yeah, of, the, me too. Luck of the Irish, yeah. that Disney Channel movie. He plays a leprechaun. I, that, granddad. That's so what I'm thinking. Like, uh, I, I just instantly like that guy all the time when I see him as shit. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's an easy I'm down. End down yeah and it's kind of funny because he's like obviously in love with the guy as well you assume i guess i don't know yeah yeah i mean he's all the confidence that yeah. quid could want i get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i get you in the the fact that it's one of the least developed parts of the whole story that really kind of like doesn't it, it, if you took it out it wouldn't matter it could mm. it would not matter at all you know what it is about the William H. Macy thing is the fact that it's like he's playing a character that's very similar to um, his character, Jerry uh, Lundergaard in Fargo. And it's just that like vibe of I think it's just him, the way he plays characters like that. And it's almost like PTA doing his own little like mini uh, version of that version of a Coen Brothers. Like it's like a Coen Brothers skit almost. It's, you're right. It's yeah. a very Coen more of a Coen Brothers sort of subplot. Yeah, there. which I, I like the Coen Brothers a lot, so it's a very easy thing for me to enjoy. <laughs> Fair so, enough. All right. We're talking about f- f- falling frogs and Frog. bullshit like that, so it's time for a snack time! We hope it's all right. We know it's not over. But now we're having snack time to maintain stat. You know, I should have. I should have got the. I didn't think frogs, and like I know you can get chocolate frogs and shit, and yeah. I've had them, and I should have got that. And that what you got? I got the most I, amazing, the the OG chocolate frog. Nah, hey, Fredo. Fredo, which I I knew it was you, Fredo. I'm not sure if I've I've actually ever had a Fredo or not. Um, oh, they're good. I mean, I'm assuming it's gonna taste like every fuck. I mean, it's like people Caramel. say like, oh. Like a Fredo is good, or what? What's another like just thing that people say is good, but it's just dairy milk. It's just like a chocolate <laughs> bar. So I know what it's gonna yeah. taste like, but I will yeah. say that I had to get a little frog, and he, yeah, he's a little cute frog, man. Oh fuck! Frog oh, <laughs> little Fredo. When you put his hand in his like, yeah. mouth, Dude, like, like yeah. William H Macy. Yeah, it's like he's, he's like I want braces. <laughs> I want braces. Can you give me some braces? Oh. Hey, they must be exciting hey, for you. Hey, Mr. Bartender, if I get some braces, <laughs> you think you could love me? Mm, my name is Fredo. <laughs> this is our remake of the Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> little chocolate. Fredo's Fredo. got like a weird little spot where his dick should be. What's what is that? I don't know. Very I don't weird. really want to know. Yeah. Strange. He missed the bartender. What happened <laughs> but, to my penis? <laughs> <laughs> if I got some braces, do you think it will grow back? <laughs> Could you find it for me? Right, eat, eat him from the dick. Nice. Tastes like a dairy milk. <laughs> five, Boom. But five out of five. Five out of five frogs in Solid my mouth. chocolate. Very good. Nice. Nice. What'd you get? I, I went... For, you know, I wanted to get Magnolia, Flower, 
got some edible flowers. Ooh, nice. That's These, very like, good, man. Little sugar decorations. Solid snack Cake decorations. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to be a little bit of sugar, but look. Yeah. Good. I was thinking something along that line of what, as well, and then I remembered there's a Fredo, and I was like, oh, yeah. A little chocolate frog. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm going to try. I don't think this will be very good. You just put to put it on cake, but <laughs> yeah. like, fuck it. I love the, the, you know, the thought behind it. Though. Like, no. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Tastes like sugar. It's literally just sugar. <laughs> I mean, it's not really a snack. I hate to like give it a review. I bet it's good on a cake. Yeah. By itself, it's kind of weird and kind of strong. Um, how many frogs two, are you giving it? Two, two frogs. Two, yeah. Two of the real oh. gross ones that like slide across the windshield. <laughs> Ew, yeah. Brown goo. <laughs> yeah, I should have got the frog. You can get these like really fancy chocolate frogs from like Fortnum and Mason. Yeah, and they're real. They're really expensive, but they're really good. <laughs> My budget for snack time this week was twenty five p. <laughs> no, I think these were like a like a pound, if even yeah. that. Cheap. You got to keep it cheap. I hope someone is following along and went to go to St. Breed and find some like <laughs> <laughs> flower decoration and eat them with yeah. My name is Jonathan Foster. I'm Ariana Nantabutri. And I'm Phil Freyden. And welcome to Franchise. The brand new film podcast. Presented by the Breadcrumb Collective. Join us as each season on Franchise will be taken on a different, massive, blockbusting movie franchise, one film at a time. As well as exploring some of the smaller and lesser loved franchises as we try to wrap our heads around what makes a franchise good. Or bad. Each season, you can expect ongoing film rankings to determine which film stood out or which was stinkers. And while it's loads of trivia, actor beef, bonus side missions, and more. All this comes to you from the 21st of June 2021 as we start our engines for season one with The Fast Saga. It's the Fast and Furious movies. Find Franchise on your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe today so you never miss an episode. For the latest updates and information, follow us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram or visit breadcrumbscollective.com. Now the only thing left to do is to... Get Franchise. All right, so... Falling frogs, the f- the fucking frogs happen. All right, Phil, I I, I, I didn't really say this, like, because I, I think I mentioned on the Boogie Nights episode, like, I was waiting for this film. I was, like, excited because I thought, like, hey, PTA is going to finally get it with the fucking third film. It's that third film, the big ensemble. He's going to figure it out. Uh, and, you know, obviously, I did end up liking this film and stuff. And I basically was like, I saw Magnolia when I was, like, 15, 16, around the same time I saw Boogie Nights for the first time. And I remember enjoying it, but I it's like that's so long ago, the last time I had seen it, that like I don't remember it all. You know, and yeah. like so it was like watching it for A the lot first happened. time again, yeah. you know. Uh I like I know about the falling frogs, obviously. Like I know it's a thing, but I just couldn't remember like everything that kind of surrounded it. And even so, it's still just kind of <laughs> it didn't really like make sense but should it 
anyway should it make sense no it just, just happened i love shit that, it like that it just happens and the only explanation i ever needed was pta saying once you know to someone telling you that your father is dying it's like someone telling you that frogs are falling from the sky yeah that's it's good. the thing it's like just yeah. as weird it's just as like otherworldly yeah and i that after hearing that I was like yeah I got, I got, I totally get it, and I love that he did it. It's like the ultimate, like, artistic expression of how yeah. he was feeling, like how fucking weird this life is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to do it, and flat, just do it, and you just have to deal with it. It's not like a fucking narrative reason for it to happen. Happen. Yeah. It's not even a function, more of an emotional function. But I love that it happened. And weird and whatever unnecessary it may be it's probably the point in the movie most people if you've made it that far you're either with it or you're really against it. <laughs> yeah yeah but you should know going in that frogs in magnolia <laughs> yeah dude you know like going back on the coen brothers thing it really does like this feels like the most probably coen brother-esque uh it's very our brother as well yeah, yeah or like even like a serious man like when the fucking tornado just comes You're at right. the end, it's like this right is like the, the tornado. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's sort of like what the fuck is going on? Uh, for this iconic segment, though, in which a torrential rain of toads hit Magnolia Boulevard, roughly eight thousand rubber frogs were produced and allocated to the film scene. Computer-generated frogs were also used, sparing the harm of real frogs during production. So that's thank good. God. Thank God, because some of those look really real, and I'm just like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, Anderson got the idea of raining uh, frogs from the writings of Charles Fort. Thought to be an allegory, the phenomenon actually does occur at times when powerful powerful storms, thought to be like maybe like water right spouts or tornadoes or whatever, uh, pick up frogs or fish or other marine life when passing over ponds, lakes, or seas before dumping them elsewhere. Uh, it's a very strange thing and it does seem like it's kind of bullshit, but like I've read stories of raining fish and, uh, it happened before and it, it, it's, it's, these things happen. Like the little kid says, even though it's kind of cheesy, but it's, it's kind of funny because the kid's yeah. all right. He's not bad in this film and you just feel bad for him because he just wanted to take a piss and people are expecting way too much from him. And it's just like, let the kid piss and maybe he'll answer your fucking question. Yeah. Fuck um, off. I love his freak out to Philip Baker Hall. It's great. Like when he just like, he's like, Jimmy, I'm not just some like thing to laugh at. Is this funny? Like, you know, it's so funny. (laughs) It's great. It needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause fuck that character. (laughs) PJ likes writing a fucking pedo. I I, I do wonder if something (laughs) happened to him. It's just like, dude, are you all right? You need to talk? Yeah. I mean, it's not something a lot of people want to talk about. So at least. I think he needed that to he talk. Tried. He, I think he, he needed, needed to, to talk, talk a, you know, to someone. He's early films so far. It's like, dude, are yeah. you okay? I mean, they're def- definitely therapeutic. Yeah, him doing these films, you know? Yeah. And laying the groundwork for his fuckboy autourism. <laughs> <laughs> this is him getting out of it. Yeah. This is the last time you got to deal with it. Okay. Everything else after this. Is- I don't know, man. Sure. I think that next film about the breakup. Oh, Punch Drunk is so sweet. Yeah. You kidding me? But it's about it's about his breakup, I think. In an apple. I guess. And I think yeah. there's elements to what Barry does in that film that yeah. he did in real yeah, life definitely. to Fiona Apple, and it's kind of creepy. But we'll get to that <laughs> a couple weeks from now. Yeah. Uh the occurrence 
of the Falling Frogs actually once did happen to Philip Baker Hall while vacationing in Italy. So after Paul Thomas Anderson told Philip Baker Hall his next movie was going to feature a sequence in which it rains frogs, PTA said that Philip Baker Hall told him that he had been driving on a mountain pass in Switzerland, and he said for about 15 minutes it rained frogs. It was really foggy, and the mountain road was covered in ice. The frogs falling was not the thing that freaked him out, though. What it freaked him out was that his car could not get any traction and he was afraid that he was going to fall off the mountain. I just thought right then and there, I got to go with this sequence. So that is why there's plenty of moments of frogs preventing people from getting traction and cars are screeching all over the road, including (laughs) the ambulance that goes flying. Uh, But luckily, right to the hospital doors. (laughs) It's such a funny scene. (laughs) <laughs> this too cannot be one of one of those things please <laughs> many assume that the frog scene was biblical and pta said that i'd be a liar if i said to you that it was written intention uh, initially as a biblical reference at the time pta ca- came across the notion of a rain of frogs and he was going through a weird uh personal time basically cocaine and or daddy um and he started to understand why people turn to religion in times of trouble and maybe my form of finding religion was reading about rains of frogs and realizing that that makes sense to me somehow. And I think that adds into like what you were saying about like, you know, mm. when you find out your dad's dying, it's like fucking rain and frogs. Mm. Hallelujah. It's rain and frogs. <laughs> you missed a beat by not putting that. Rain and men. Hallelujah. It's raining. Could you imagine how shitty that would make this film? <laughs> right. I love that end, song, like, but it would not work. Yeah. Don't listen to me. God I'm damn. full of bad ideas. Directed cut. Um, so once he realized that it was in the Bible, specifically Exodus 8:2, which states, If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. BTA had set decorator a set decorator surprise him with how many eights and twos he could hide in the background. Aside from the white magnolia flower appearing in every scene, a visual motif of paired numbers of eights and twos are referenced more than a hundred times in the film. A few examples include the 82% chance of rain that you see. There's a blackjack <laughs> hand of an eight and two of diamonds. I need a two. Well, you got an eight. <laughs> You're a fan of my work. And Pat Oswalt is in this movie. Yeah, Pat Oswalt's in this film. And there's even a Damn sign yeah. of Exodus 8-2 during the quiz show. So there's just things like that. There's tons of them. Uh, Pat okay. Oswalt, I will say I read a funny little thing and I didn't add it in just because I didn't want this to go too long. But um, he did say something about it. it was really funny how he was like uh, at a, I think he was at a gig. Like he was doing a gig, maybe like a stand-up gig. And Paul Thomas Anderson was there and he was hanging out with him after uh, with some other people. And then Paul Thomas Anderson was like, oh, I'm doing this film. Do you want to be in it? And he was just like, yeah, sure. I'll be in it. It'll be fun. And he's <laughs> like, can I get a script? And he's like, no. And he's like, okay. And he's just like, that's just how it's going to be. And he's like, next thing I know, I'm at this like uh, fitting for like this scuba outfit. And it's really suffocating. And like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. PTA's yeah. got me in this fucking scuba outfit. And he's only given me like three pages of the lines. Uh, and that's like, I guess him getting his ass kicked playing the, the oh, guy yeah. and everything. And, um, yeah, so it's this that whole thing is kind of going on. And uh, then he was just like, so I had no idea what the film was when I was doing it. And, and I didn't even really know why I was like in a tree and, and none of it really made sense. <laughs> he's like, so that's what Until it was I like. Until I the movie and I'm like, oh, I'm just in the opening. Yeah, he's like, so that's what like it's like movie working about with scuba diving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just don't know. You never know. 
many things in this film also happen in pairs throughout the movie. So there's two characters named Jim. Two women take drugs. You got Claudia and Linda. The game show host Jimmy Gator and the game show producer Earl Partridge are both dying of cancer. Both of those characters also cheated on their spouses and have children who denounce them. There are two quiz kids, Donnie Smith and Stanley Spector. There are two caretakers, Officer Jim Curring for Claudia and Nurse Phil Parma for Earl Partridge. Two characters are humiliated on television simultaneously. You have Frank T.J. Mackey in his interview and then Stanley Spector on the game show. Voiceover is heard when Jim Curring takes a shower towards the beginning of the film. And then uh, later in the movie, towards the end, Claudia is also doing a voiceover. There's a few other things like that. So that's what I mean. Like there's a lot of duality in this film. There's a lot of these things Mm. for better or worse. uh, If it's in your opinion, you'd get rid of uh, older quiz kid, but uh, he needed that. But it worked. You needed it. You needed duality. (laughs) It worked. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, if I took it out, it would be worse. Um, But they've done a lot, you know, it's just, if I'm having to pick the lot of shit in the fucking movie. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's get to the music in the film, the second portion of this. Uh, John Bryan, who I absolutely love, did the original score in the film. Music's way better in this film, to be honest. I was about to ask, yeah, what do you, what do you think? Because it's, it's still there a lot of the time. Yeah, the music's great in Boogie Nights. It's good music, but it's too in your face and too much all the non-stop. time, nonstop. This film, a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more yeah. like there's music in it quite a bit, and most of it is Amy Mann on the soundtrack. But one is the loneliest number. Great. Like just dying with that. Yeah, yeah. Opening song is so good. Um, yeah, so it's just like the way it's used, it's just like it's it's just like the way it works throughout the film. It's works mm. really nice and it's part of the scenes and stuff at times. Like I was about to say, yeah, it could problem with Boogie Nights that there all the time non-stop it overshadowed some yeah. of the dialogue yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. here it's literally intertwined with it where characters sing along yeah and I think <laughs> it, that's the way it helps because like uh, the fact that he wrote based on this music and she wrote for the film the script, specifically yeah. and it just works uh, two of the songs were written specifically for the movie those being You Do and the song at the end of the film Save Me which uh, was <laughs> Nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, which lost to Phil Collins' song in Tarzan, which is... uh, I would be mad, but that fucking soundtrack slaps, dude. What, Tarzan? Phil Collins' Tarzan... Are you kidding me? The Phil Collins' Tarzan soundtrack goes so hard, and it doesn't have to. So if it had to lose to anything, I'm glad it was that. (laughs) And... Most of the remaining seven uh, Amy Mann songs were demos or works in progresses. Uh, Wise Up, which is uh, at the center of the climax from which all the characters start to sing the song, uh, was originally actually written for 1996 film Jerry Maguire. But at the time, Amy Mann's record label had refused for her to like release songs on like the you know were on her album amongst the other things. Mm-hmm. So. ETA basically just snatched that up and uh, he was worried that the random musical number might come off as ridiculous and he said but I tricked everyone into getting Julianne Moore to do it first like he said she can always set the pace 
because actors are so competitive and then everyone was up for it so that's how everybody kind of got involved Smart. and then it just all worked I felt it does it's work weird. it's ridiculous it's, but it does work it's strange like it makes no sense why it kind of happens but at the same time it never makes sense why people break out in the song in musicals and I hate musicals yeah. for that reason because it's just like this makes no sense why are you singing but whatever uh, and it's only for a moment and it's really like I think by that point it like it's, it's slightly hypnotic to a point where you're just like you're in yeah. a mindset where you you know you're you're fine with that and that's not even the weirdest part because the frogs come after so like, yeah. Yeah. it's gearing you up for the frog if frogs were the only weird thing that happened then it wouldn't work yeah. it to be one of many things yeah uh yeah so the song plays at the open and film as you mentioned was one by harry nilsson originally but performed by Amy Mann and Amy Mann's track Momentum is used in the loud playing music in Claudia's apartment when Jim arrives, Officer Jim, and uh, yeah. it's also featured in the trailer for the film. And there are also a couple of Super Tramp songs in the film as well. So there's a couple of other little bits. Just to tap it just off, to yeah. Top it off. Uh, Magnolia was released in limited theaters in December of 1999 before opening wide in January 2000 and eventually grossed 22.5 million in the North America and 26 million in other territories for a worldwide tally of $48.5 million against a budget of $37 million. Tom Cruise was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars, uh, which he did win a Golden Globe for the role. And PTA was also nominated for another Best original screenplay Oscar. And like we said a minute ago, Amy Mann, best original song. The The film basically, it had generally positive reviews from critics and audiences. USA Today called it the most imperfect of the year's best movies. Roger Ebert gave (laughs) it four out of four stars saying Magnolia is the kind of film I instinctively respond to. Leave logic at the door. Do not expect subdued taste and restraint, but instead a kind of operatic ecstasy. Uh, that's probably the most ridiculous thing he's ever written. <laughs> <laughs> and we've done a lot of ridiculous stuff we've had written. Uh, Janet Maslin. Okay, I felt like I needed to see what she thought this time around. Yeah, yeah. Because she's been coming up a bit. And I found a quote. She says, But when the group sing-along arrives, so I'm assuming she was <laughs> saying something nice before. But- and then... And then the group sing-along arrives. Magnolia begins to self-destruct spectacularly. It's astonishing to see a film begin this br- brilliantly only to torpedo itself in the final hour. But went on to say that the film was saved from, the, uh, from its worst, most reductive ideas by the intimacy of the performances and the deeply felt distress signals given off by the cast. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like all over the place. That, yeah, uh, that seemed a bit harsh. I mean... Yeah. Even if I would agree, it's you know, like it's messy at times. It's a beautiful mess. I don't think it completely unwinds itself. At Not time, at all. You know? I, th- I, th- I think it holds together yeah. quite well. Whether you want to ride with it, it's a different story, though. Yeah. I don't think it repeated itself. I think that is the movie. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get how you can. I, you know what it is. I think a lot of people. Because I don't consider this like much a review myself. Like I don't feel like I'm writing this as a review, and I don't treat this like no. it's a job. And I think some yeah, people yeah. like who are doing reviews for a living, like like you know, they're gonna catch a bad day, and it's just like you're not 
putting yourself in a position of like, I think wanting to watch this. Uh, and we're also doing this many years away from it yeah, coming with out hindsight, with hindsight and stuff. And you kind of know bits and pieces of what's going to happen and all that. Uh, I don't know. I think like, that's why I have a problem with critics sometimes. Cause it's just like, it's objective. Yeah, everything's yeah, subjective. Any, anything that pushes the idea that there's an inherent objective quality to art is bullshit. Yeah. And that you could put a number or a rating on anything. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Except snack time. Obviously, think snap snap time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the only actual thing. That goes without saying, yeah. That's going on on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I say that a lot because I don't like I don't like to think of us as much of a review podcast as much as it is like just a couple of idiots who have no idea what the fuck they're talking about like (laughs) yeah i just like talking talking about movies that they like so um but yeah i mean i don't know i think she just called a bad one because i I feel like you do kind of almost need to go with it if you're not in the mindset of like if you're doing this for work you off on a bad yeah if you're doing it for work you're not doing it it's like you need to just like take three hours and know that you're gonna have to put three hours in to just sit here and just let it, like you said a couple of weeks ago, wash over you. And mm. it doesn't always pay off. This one for me did, but like, you know, I did that. I went into boogie nights and I was kind of excited for it. And I was, I was ready for it. And I let, I was trying to let it wash over me, but it kind of like, I was like, I need to go take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, well, that's good. I'm still surprised. Cause yeah, that I think there's more to pick at. With Magnolia. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad it it uh, paid off. It just doesn't you. feel as like, uh, I don't know what it is. There's something about it that doesn't feel as like adolescent, you know, like, you know it's what I mean? Very, it matured very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not all the way there. Yeah, yet, absolutely the, not. It's a, bi- it's a big step There's a lot of like him. immaturity going on in the film at times. Uh, exactly. Elements to it. But it's like, there's, I think there's room for that. And there's elements to that in Boogie Nights that I really liked. But there's also like, I just felt like there wasn't, uh, just everything wasn't really there for me. And It's like they both have more. the same scope he treats them as quite the epic operatic story yeah but like one it's deserving of it and yeah one, the other one should have been his 90 minute film like and it would have been a lot cut quick <laughs> yeah. easy yeah yeah like rent of our dog man you're in and out yeah it's cheap and it's cool and everybody yeah. loves it like you need like keep the goddamn scene inside the fucking house where he goes to the drug dealer and stuff that like and you keep you, you keep, keep jesse's girl and you keep the yeah. dick yeah everything else is <laughs> up for grabs yeah Ingmar Berman actually said that uh, Magnolia was an example of the strength of American cinema. So there is that. Uh, oh, wow. But yeah, this like I said earlier, compliment. following the film's release, Paul Thomas Anderson did say, I really feel that Magnolia is, for better or worse, the best movie I'll ever make. But years later, he said, however, uh, he, you know, it, it's a bit too long. In a Reddit AMA, he was asked uh, what he would do if he could go back when he shot the movie. And his response was, chill the fuck out and cut 20 minutes <laughs> love it and he's right that's the yeah. only thing i could say about magnolia and i love it all but like yeah, yeah you could it, it's long but that's yeah. the, the, the i was fine with it critique. I, you know at the yeah. end of the day i'm fine with it so yeah that's it it, uh, it just keeps me from watching it more often yeah it, but that's that, that, any that, long that's the movie. Back. except for goodfellas because i can except watch it for goodfellas day. but yeah that's and maybe t2 movie. 
What's that? T2? <laughs> T2. T2 is fucking long. It's like almost three hours, but it's so good. You don't give a shit. Yeah. Forget how long that is. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's it. That's Magnolia. I, I enjoyed Magnolia. it. So would, would you say right. it wasn't as successful as Boogie Nights then? Uh, I don't remember how much Boogie Nights made. But I feel like the reaction was better for Boogie Nights. Yeah. It probably was. Maybe. Maybe I think like... Uh, I don't know, man. Hollywood's weird like that, aren't they? Like mm. they they'll be more reactive and accepting of something that's absurd as like a film about the porn industry and like see it as like, yeah, but he's also kind of talking about like the film industry and it's like yeah. <laughs> But then like Magnolia it. where it's like actually a, a truth like like real life shit, like he says, it's stuff that like, you know, doesn't normally get this platform, like, you mm. know, um shit that everybody Sorry. deals with. Like Oh, that's boring because, like, I'm used to everyday life like this. Uh, so, you know, why did it break out in song? Why are the fogs <laughs> falling from the sky? The torpedo itself. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, weird. Yeah. I guess we'll find out on the next episode of PTA because, uh, yeah. well, I feel like, uh, you know, every episode you, you sort of get, like, a, a insight into like what happened in the last film and why he's doing what he's yeah, doing yeah. now. Um, same thing with the Wes Anderson episodes as well. So they all sort of like tie together. And that's why I like doing this. It's a very fun series that we're doing here. I'm enjoying it. Uh, this <laughs> It's been fun and I'm hoping like, yeah, yeah, we're over the hump for PTA and I think I'm going to enjoy at least the next couple of films. And then I'm kind of in some uncharted territory. So that's always fun for me as well. Yeah, I mean, the next, we're safe, I think, for the next few weeks yeah. in terms of, yeah, PTA flick, and West is about to peak, yes. but then we might both hit a hump, another hump for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've seen how PTA properly does a balanced, depressing, and funny, somehow funny uh, times ensemble piece about shitty dads, and now we're about to go to our quirky twee pal next week. Wes Anderson's back and he'd do his first big ensemble piece on a very similar topic. Shitty dads. Oh my God. That's crazy. It's the Royal Tenenbaums. The Royale. Royale. Cheese. Tenenbaums. 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 It's the Southern family. Goddamn (laughs) Tenenbaums. They goddamn Tenenbaums. Yeah. I'm excited for that as well. I think it's like that third film territory, man. It's like, because yeah. I've, uh, I've seen Royal Tenenbaums numerous times and it's like. Me too. It's a banger. It's a big film. It's like bigger and you get his ideas and his, uh, his palette and everything he's going mm. for really starts to come out in that film. And uh, yeah, it should be a good rewatch and to compare. I would say that. That's like the first real Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. And this was like the last Paul Thomas Anderson movie. In terms of like the style you would <laughs> attribute to PTA. Yeah. It's over after these three movies, I feel. Because the ensemble piece and go, he starts tackling genres yeah. and period pieces. And it becomes this fucking weird breakneck filmmaker that goes anywhere and everywhere. Where Wes quickly will dive into himself and just expand upon and and, and self-destruct yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and torpedo himself right around life aquatic no, no after that it's after. after dodge it yeah it's 
Life fuck. Aquatic is like I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Like I, I'm I really want to rewatch Royal Tenenbaums again because it's been a couple years since I've seen it, and I feel like uh, mm. you know I I it's a great movie, and I could I could be like mm, it's good. Oh my god, it could but, it could edge out. But like as I stand right now, I think uh, Life Aquatic is like one of his best films. It's so good. It's so we'll good. see. We'll, we're gonna we're gonna rewatch. And also next week we're back on rankings as well. So yeah, we're gonna start ranking. So tune in next week for Royal Tenenbaums and a rank or rank a dank. Rank a dank dank. <laughs> Gotta think about yeah. them. All right, well, everybody, you can always find us at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and send us an email, podcast.princecharlescinema.com. Thanks for everybody listening who's getting involved with this hashtag Anderson versus Anderson thing that we're doing. It's very <laughs> fun. Um, I'm glad you guys are like being receptive to it, and I'm glad people really enjoyed the fucking uh, Criterion Collection like Giveaway, competition yeah. that was going out. I wish more people who listen to the podcast would actually like email in because that means you are listening to us and like you uh, listen to that. It's at the very beginning. All you have to do is send me an email and tell me what your favorite Wes Anderson film was. But yeah, I saw on. a lot of you regular listeners uh, partake in the social media competition as well. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate thank it. You. It's very fun and there's a lot of response to that. So we'll give that out um, probably within this week that this episode's going out. Um, announce the winner. We'll be back Be back next week with another Criterion Collection giveaway where we'll be giving out hey, Royal Tenenbaum. So stay tuned next week. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Support us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Bonus episodes, early episodes, all that good stuff. Support the podcast. Uh, Phil's at Far Away Sad on uh, Twitter in real life. Uh, <laughs> and I'm at Tall for All nice. in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and they say we may be done with the podcast, but the podcast is not done with us. <laughs> there you go. There's your Magnolia ending. There we go. These things happen. <laughs> These things just happen. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.